Our gospel reading for today is from Matthew chapter 8. This will also be the basis of our sermon for this morning. Starting at verse 23. And when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We are, this year here at Christ Lutheran, we are going through the book of Matthew. And we're going through the book of Matthew in a series called Follow Me. And we have, in the, the past few weeks, we've t- taken a good hard look at the origins of Jesus and this Jesus who, who calls us to follow him, taking a look at him, his life, where he's come from, to determine why is he worthy for us to, to follow. And now we're shifting a little bit as we're shifting seasons in the church here. We are currently in the, the season of Epiphany. Does anyone know what Epiphany means? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Revelation, okay. Yeah, you're certainly on the, the right track, right? Uh, manifestation, uh, 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 revelation, appearance, maybe what I like, uh, revealing something that was always there, but now phew, is made known. I've had an epiphany, right? And kind of see how that word is, is used maybe sometimes in, in our conversations in life. And in the book of Matthew, we see multiple epiphanies that, are, that Matthew highlights. The most famous one, the most highlighted one would be the wise men or the magi as they come to the child Jesus they come bearing, gold, uh, bearing gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And when they get there, what do they do? They respond. They respond in, in worship. They bow down and give these gifts to, to Jesus. And that is sort of the, the nature of uh, an epiphany. On the one hand, it's, it's God re- revealing something special about himself to, to his people. And in an epiphany, by its very nature, begs a response. And so what I'm going to do these next few weeks during the season of epiphany, which goes up until Lent, Ash Wednesday, right, is I found... Stories, 
within the Gospel of Matthew that highlight Jesus revealing something about himself, giving an epiphany, and then people's responses to that epiphany. So today, we see Jesus calming the storm. Jesus and his disciples were up around the Sea of Galilee. Here's the uh, a picture of the Sea of Galilee. This is kind of modern-day Israel. But as you see here, so here's the Dead Sea. Right here is like Jerusalem. Up there is the Sea of Galilee, right? And so uh, it, you can kind of tell from this picture, the Sea of Galilee actually is a lake, right? It's a freshwater lake. And it's about, oh, I think 13 feet long, or 13 feet, 13, let's try that again, 13 miles long and uh, seven miles wide at its widest point and its longest point. And so you can tell uh, the Sea of Galilee isn't super huge, but what does make it sort of unique is that it's pretty low, it's actually below sea level, and it's deep. And so it's, it's a fairly... Uh, big body of water in that sense, in that it's, it's deep, um, and there's, so there's maybe more than you would anticipate there. Jesus and his disciples had been doing ministry. Prior to this point in the book, in Matthew chapter 8, we see uh, Jesus ha- had healed a, a leper, someone with the skin disease. We see that Jesus healed a family member of a, of a centurion, of a Roman centurion. We see that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law and many others. And so he was, at this point, moving from, from the west side of the lake, probably over on, on this side here, and he's moving to the east. Actually, kind of a significant move because he was moving from what, an area that was primarily Jewish to an area that was, was more Greek, um, more, more Gentile, right? And so as they're going through uh, 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 across the sea, they're, they're taking a boat. Uh, and here's a model of the boat that they might have been taking. Obviously, this is a model, not the exact um, boat. But this is like, likely close to the boat that they were taking, size-wise and whatnot. And in fact, this is neat, I think. Uh, in 1987, there was a drought in Galilee, and what that drought revealed as the waters receded was a first century boat, fishing, fishing boat. And this was uh, painstakingly excavated, if you can imagine. This was 2,000 years old, wood, waterlogged, wet. It was fragile, and so they worked really hard. You can kind of see, even the, even today, the supports that are still there to help, uh, main, so that there's not too much pressure on on one point of this boat. And so, um, you know, obviously, we don't know if this is the exact boat that Jesus and his disciples were in. Maybe, probably not. There's lots of boats at that time, but we do know from carbon dating, like this dates to first century. So this is very 
similar to maybe the, the boat that Jesus and his disciples would have been in. It was about eight feet wide, and I think, if I remember right, 13 feet long, so not huge, and they're in this boat together. Remember, now, Jesus, as he's going with his disciples, at least a third of them were experienced fishermen. So they been in a, a boat before like this on the Sea of Galilee and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee and the waters get rough. In fact, what Matthew tells us is that there was a, a great storm. This word that Matthew uses in the Greek, it actually can be used in other places to refer to a, an earthquake. And so uh, this, this word it shows the turbulence, the violence of this storm, and we know this just from, uh, you know, basic uh, uh, understanding of, of the Sea of Galilee, that when the winds from the east come off the Arabian Desert, and they're hot winds, they mix with the, the cool air that's around Galilee, storms can come up real quick, to the point where these waves on the Sea of Galilee can be up to seven feet high, so they're huge. So, foot wide, seven foot waves. You can understand how in the midst of this, the disciples, experienced fishermen or not, were a little scared. What's happening? You know, maybe, maybe for a little bit as things were coming in, they were, oh, we've, we've, we were fishermen, right? We know how to sail and just kind of wanted to get through this themselves without disturbing Jesus, but it got to a point where Matthew tells us the boat was being swamped, that the waves were crashing in to the point where these experienced fishermen cry out to Jesus, Lord, help, save us. What was Jesus doing during this time? Taking a nap. <laughs> sleeping, right? And so in this moment, we see two things about Jesus. We see his frail humanity. He's tired from ministry. All the work he's been doing, the preaching he's been doing, the healing he's been doing, he's tired. And he has absolute peace so that when he rests and when he sleeps he's abiding he is resting in God even to the point when the winds and the waves around him are swirling and things are moving Jesus is sleeping so the disciples come to Jesus Lord save us and he says, oh, you of little faith, why are you afraid? Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, oh, you of little faith, why did you wake me up? I was taking a nap and I'm tired. Don't you know that, right? Which might have been my response if a child woke me up in the middle of a nap when I was tired. Uh, but, of course, this is not Jesus' response. But he does rebuke them a bit for their lack of faith, their, or their little faith, as he says it. 
But quite simultaneously almost, right after that, what does he do? There's this great storm that's happening. The boat's being tossed around. It's being swamped. And he stills the storm. So that Matthew tells us this, that what was a great storm is now a great calm. The sea went from seven-foot waves to a sheet of glass. And the disciples are left asking this question. What's a man that even the wind and the waves obey him? They were left with this response. We can tell they still didn't know everything, but they knew at least to ask the question. Couple things that we can we can take from this story. First of all, maybe most obvious, Jesus is God. <laughs> in Job thirty-eight, we read this in our reading, our, our first reading today. But God speaking says, "Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment." And thick darkness, its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Of course, Jesus is, is God, God in the flesh, not just an, an ordinary man. What sort of man is this? Well, uh, not, not like us. And we can see that clearly. And I think at that point, we're fairly comfortable as for, I'd say, the majority of us, lifelong Christians, people who have come to church, who have heard about Jesus, who know that he's almighty, powerful God, creator of the universe. Yeah, Jesus is God. The wind and the waves to be quiet, they listen. Just like when he spoke on that first day, and he spoke out of nothing in the creation, and he spoke the wind and the waves and the land and the sea and the animals and all those through the six days of creation, he spoke them into being. So Jesus speaks today. So Jesus spoke at the Sea of Galilee. But here is the question that I was left with as I was reading this text, studying this text, preparing to preach on this text. Why does Jesus rebuke his disciples? I mean, listen, listen to his words. He said, you know, they said, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? I, at first, see the disciples going to Jesus, saying, save us, Lord. I almost see that as commendable. Aren't they doing what they're supposed to do? They, they recognize that uh, Jesus is their only source of hope, and yet, we also recognize in this 
dialogue, in this story, that there's something else that's happening. Because how do they respond? What sort of man is this? They knew they needed help from Jesus. Maybe they thought they needed another person on the oars to help them get to shore. Or I'm not exactly sure what they were expecting, but it doesn't seem that they were fully expecting that. Great calm. Something else was going on there. It's worth noting that as Jesus rebukes them, he doesn't say that, oh, you have no faith, you unbelievers. No, he says, you have little faith. And so he's just quant- quantifying their faith. But also, in, in that question that they ask, the disciples ask at the end, I think there might be a hint for us when they ask, what sort of man is this? In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, when he created man, he says this to Adam and Eve. He says, then God said, and so here's the Trinity speaking to themselves, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now I'm, I'm, I'm going to push on this a little bit. I don't think that we can go super far But what else does this story reveal about Jesus? Not only that he was God God Almighty, and he is God Almighty to this day, maker of heaven and earth, but he's also perfect man. Sinless man. Man, how God created man before the fall into sin. Man, exercising dominion over creation. How, how does that feel? Like, because if, if I'm honest, it kind of blows my mind to think, wait, what? And yet here, God's word is saying something to me, to us, that I think it, it can challenge us. I don't know, I mean, was, was Jesus, when he was thinking about the, those of little faith, his disciples, his followers, or was he thinking to himself, you guys had more faith, maybe you could just have calmed the storm. I don't know. That's as far as I'm going to go because I'm afraid if I go any farther, I will be a heretic. But I do think this. Uh, we can take this from this, this story. That when the storms of life, to use that metaphor, expose our fears and our little faith that God can use it to lead to a a response, a faithful response. This past uh, Saturday, yesterday, I was talking to George Farron, Patricia's husband, and as I mentioned in the prayers, Patricia had a heart attack on Friday. Yeah. Of course, you know Patricia has, uh, many of you know at least, that she's been battling ongoing health issues 
for a long time. I mean, she is, in many ways, the embodiment of the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. She wants to serve. She wants to, I mean, she was here standing up before us talking about the new Bible study. She's still planning to start February 1st, you know, once this little heart attack thing is out of the way and cleared up. But she, whether it be MG or, you know, just ongoing issues, heart attacks, things are holding her back, right? She has this heart attack. They took her to the hospital. George took her to the hospital, and uh, they said, we're, we're going to transport you down to St. Anthony's in Lakewood, down in the Denver area, bigger hospital. And that's, Patricia has been transported from up here, down there before, but in the past it's been by ambulance. Uh, this time it was by helicopter. And so uh, Patricia, and the way that I'm sure all, many of you can hear Patricia saying this, um, she said to the nurses, as she saw these nurses come in in flight suits, she's like, well, this is actually good because it was on my bucket list to take a helicopter ride. (laughs) So they told her, we'll let you look out the window as we fly down. And they went down, put in stints uh, on Friday night. Things are healing. She's hurting, but in the right places, right, just after the procedure, and talking with George yesterday, just said, I, I'm, I'm perplexed. Why does this keep happening? It's, uh, you know, whatever cliche, when it rains, it pours, or as Patricia likes to say herself, if it's not ticks, it's fleas, or, you know, it's, it, you know, it just seems like there's, it's always one thing after another, and George stopped me, and he said, well, Pastor, here, here's one thing I, I, I can take from this. Uh, I, I think I'm, this is George speaking, I'm a relatively healthy individual, a little overweight maybe, but I can, uh, but, you know, whatever, I can uh, uh, generally speaking say I'm healthy. I have regularly these past few years gone in for, I think, like coronary examinations just to, just to check if there's any blockage and that sort of stuff. And he said every year, they come back fine. It takes time. It's a little expensive. I have this paperwork, and it's just sitting there. And so I started thinking, you know what? This year, I'm fine. I'm not going to waste my time. Until this happened, and now I know, <laughs> nope, I'm going to keep, keep checking that out. Because Patricia's heart had been examined a lot. She had lots of EKGs, and... Um, they, you know, obviously this still happened. So, like, I'm going to do what I can to keep on top of this and not become complacent. I think that can speak to the way God uses fear in our life to maybe root out our complacency, our little faith, right? whether it be storms, whether it be uh, heart attacks, maybe you or someone you know have been going through medical issues, right? I know some of you are experiencing loss. I, uh, I'm recognizing right now that I, I failed to, to pray this morning for uh, Rich as his mother 
is in declining health, has days, maybe only hours left to live. There are storms brewing in his life. Lord, help. Lord, save us. What are the, the other storms that you're experiencing? Is it the storm of work <laughs> pulling you away from your family? And so things at home feel turbulent, like there's winds and waves, <laughs> and instead of just keeping your head down and plowing forward, the faithful response would be, Lord, save me. Maybe there's a particular sin in your life that you know has a hold on you, and you, guys, you, you know the sin I'm talking about. I'm sure every one of you, as I even mentioned that, there's something in particular that comes to mind. And maybe you've done an okay job of managing that sin so that no one knows. But you haven't confessed it. You haven't repented. You haven't asked for forgiveness. Maybe God is using a storm in your life right now to root that out so that you come to this sort of man. Come to him and ask for his salvation. So Jesus is going to do both for us. On the one hand, he's going to challenge us. When he sees little faith, he's going to poke and push a little bit, but he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't say, oh, you little faith, cross his arms, stand back and say, figure it out yourselves. No, he says, oh, you of little faith, and then he helps. He says, oh, you of little faith, and then he saves. He says, oh, you of little faith, and then he forgives. This is how our Lord Jesus works. He's not going to let us remain in that place of of little faith. He's not comfortable with that because he knows that's not good for us. It's not good for, for our relationship with him or for our relationship with other people. He's not going to be okay with that, but he's also not going to leave us to our own devices, to our own little faith to fix it. He's going to be the one that comes and gives us salvation. He's going to be the one who takes the burden upon himself. He shows he's Almighty God. And he's, he's going to be the one who teaches us a better way. He's going to be the one who gives us a better example. And he's going to be the one that, as he's led to Calvary's cross, as he stands before Pilate and the chief priests and the Jews, and for all those who are yelling, Crucify him, crucify him, he's going to be the one that Pontius Pilate refers to when he says, Behold the man, the perfect man, the righteous man, the man who is also God, the man who is bloodied and beaten and spit upon and crucified and died and was buried for you so that you may be saved from the storms. Yes, to some degree, 
in this life before Jesus comes, but ultimately the storms of this creation will be saved from them as we're taken out of this creation. Jesus fixes it so that this creation no longer has turbulent seas and we are put back into creation with not little faith, but perfect faith, ruling as God has designed from the beginning with dominion and love. This is what our Jesus does for us. So we're left asking these questions. What, first of all, what good news is God saying to you? What storms in your life maybe seem out of control, maybe you don't understand, is Jesus saying, I'll save you. And then, in response, how are you going to, to follow Jesus? The disciples asked that question, what sort of man is this? Of course, we, we see a miracle like this. There are critics, unbelievers, that will say things, ah, this was just a myth. I might push on that a little bit and say, there's so many details in this story. Matthew tells it. Mark tells it. Luke tells the story. Also this, there's nowhere in the Old Testament that says the Messiah has to st- uh, uh, still the storm. So it's not like they would have had any motivation to make this up. Either the story is true or it's not. Here's the one thing we can't do. We can't not respond. Maybe I'll say this. No response is a response. Maybe there are, maybe there's hard conversations that you've been putting off because you know it's going to get choppy. Jesus is with you. Maybe there's particular sins to repent of that you're scared to repent of because of the fallout. Jesus is with you. Maybe we can be like the disciples and ask that question, what sort of man is this? And let that lead into our worship of the perfect God-man. Jesus Christ. May we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, move forward with a great faith, with the one true faith, confessing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Amen.